Welcome to another place and time Where one day you'll be dead or you'll survive Hello everybody and welcome to Dead or Survive. I'm your host, Rob Riches. I'm your other host, Cheryl Riches. And guess what? What? It's our 50th episode. 50th episode. Yes. We have done as many episodes as years you've been alive. You're so full of crap. I am not 50 years old. Oh. Yeah. Nobody oh. told your hair. <gasps> oh, the dogs are going to enjoy sleeping with you tonight. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. I can't really talk. <laughs> yeah, you went, went gray like Fast. 20 years ago <laughs> Fast I can actually tell you the day Oh really? Yeah, it was October 4th <laughs> Yeah <laughs> For those of you who don't know He's referring to our anniversary You were gray way before then I got pictures that say I wasn't Yeah, hair dye Hair dye <laughs> Yes, I've been dyeing my hair for many, many moons. Yeah. I started going gray around 22, 23. Yeah. So I really can't say anything. However, I am not bald. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I just have lots and you lots know, of hair. You do. It makes me jealous. I have tons of hair. Anyways. Oh, yes. We're, we're on our 50th episode. 50th episode. <laughs> yes. When do you want to do the draw? I want to do it right now. You do? Yeah, but I'm not going to. Oh. Okay. Because if I do it right now, they might go, man, I'm not listening anymore. Let's <laughs> yeah. make them wait. <laughs> All right. Let's do that. I have them right here, though. Yeah. <laughs> everybody's name's in here. And some people are in here five times. <laughs> yeah. That's true. I've been busy, busy guy today. You've been a busy, busy what? Guy. Oh. Doing names and vacuuming. Yes. I bought a new shop back today. I'm very yeah. excited about my new shop back. Mm -hmm. And I filled it with dog hair. Yeah, that is our, the nemesis of our lives, dog hair. We have two robot vacuum cleaners, and one of them gave its two weeks notice because it didn't <laughs> want to be here anymore. It's like, nope, I'm out. It still works. It's not like it broke. It just said, nope, I'm out. Not doing it anymore. Yeah. So, anyways. So, I thought, I'm going to get a shop back, get all the big stuff out. And my other shop back somehow got broken by Mr. Nobody. If I ever catch that fucking Mr. Nobody, I'm telling you. I'm I told you. It. I think I did it when we were vacuuming out that trailer. I thought it was broke before that. No, because it was working up until that point. Anyways, I go to use my shop bag and there's a big hole in the bottom. Mm -hmm. So it won't work. Yeah. I thought one of the kids had done it when doing their cars because they went into my garage without permission mm -hmm. and used my stuff. Yep. Yep. That happened, but not, I don't think that's when it broke. Not allowed in my garage. <laughs> it's my only sanctuary in the entire property. Yeah, probably. Even my bat cave, I come home and there's children living in my bat cave. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> um, so yeah, so got new shot back, did that, and wrote out a bunch of names. Uh, we went over and uh, spent some time with our friend, um, that we've talked about that her husband just passed away. So we hung yeah. out there and did some uh, prep work. Yeah. Tomorrow's going to be one of the shittiest days I have to deal with. Yeah. I am going to pick up his ashes with her tomorrow to make sure she's not alone. And Yeah. And then out. next weekend is his celebration of life. So that's going to be pretty rough too. Yeah. 
So, anyways, but, we will try to get through it, and we will get you a, uh, a story out, anyways. Hopefully, we're gonna wait. Also, we decided we're gonna send one of our misprinted pens, also with our prize. <laughs> yes, you're gonna get a limited, a limited edition, a limited edition <laughs> Rob Rich's pen. Yeah, dead survive like zombies. Dead survive. <laughs> Maybe we should change our podcast name. <laughs> Dead Survive. We're not a zombie podcast. Nom, 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 nom. <laughs> uh, we have to order more pens already. People are screaming for them. Yeah. Yeah. We. I know. I, I've already been asked for some too. So. Yeah. So we'll have to get some more of those. Get them out. They were a big hit. Everybody liked them. They're a yep. nice style pen. Yep. If you win the draw today, you'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I guess that's everything we've been up to. Yep. We don't really it. have, I hate intros. Do you know that? The intro is so hard. It is. Yeah, I know everybody that, all the podcasts that I listen to say that it's so hard to end it, but I think our ending is pretty smooth. Our intro is like, do people even want to hear about this? Probably not, but we don't, do we just want to jump in? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And then I've heard some other, today on Dead or Survive, we're going to discuss how somebody died and, and somebody then didn't. survived. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. This is what we do. This is what we do. If you don't like it, still subscribe. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just don't leave a... Fast forward. Yeah, fast forward. Don't leave a review. Whatever. I don't care. Just hit the follow button. We appreciate it. We have uh, reached out to some other podcasts. Another podcast reached out to us, so we might be doing a collaboration. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. That's exciting. And Um, we have three new countries. And we have three new countries. I forgot about that. What are the three new countries? I'm um, going to put you around the spot, see if you remember. I do. I just looked it up because I knew you were going to do this. Bangladesh, Bahamas, and Serbia. So welcome. Yeah. Did you know that there is only something like 69 or 70 English-speaking countries in the world, and we now have 30 of them following us? Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Although there are people that are bilingual. Yeah, no, but I'm just saying as a whole. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good because a lot of these countries I if look you at. Use, them... If you use my math, which is like toilet paper math, <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of people. It is. It and is. if you don't know what toilet paper math is, go out and look at toilet paper. You get 40 rolls that each will 350 sheets of paper, but you get it on 10 rolls. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so it's yeah. called toilet paper math. <laughs> Anyways. So yeah, it's pretty exciting. And then if the collaborations work, that's pretty exciting. We've had somebody else reach out to us that they might be starting a podcast and they yeah. want to come on and maybe uh, run one through with yeah, us. Yeah, imagine that we're going to teach somebody else how to podcast. Yeah, so you're going to have <laughs> Good luck with you're that. going to have two horrible podcasts <laughs> in Canada. You're welcome. I'm okay with it. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, what could what could possibly go wrong? What could go wrong? Right. Anyways. Do you have a story? I do indeed have a story. Is it a, a long story? It is. It's well, really... it's my 50th. I had to make it a thing, right? This is all the twists and turns. All the twists and turns. I know. You should see all the balloons in our room right now and confetti flying everywhere and yeah, sparklers. There's... Yeah, there's none. There's none. <laughs> well, they didn't know that. <laughs> now they do. <laughs> Tell your stupid story. Okay. I'm going to tell you about the Stainer family. The Stainer family from wrestling? No, that's a wrestling family. Scott Stainer. Oh, well, I'm going to tell you about Steven to begin with. Is that his brother? I don't think so. Oh. I'm going to go with no. Okay. Steven Stainer 
was born on April 18, 1965, in Merced, California. He was the third of five children born to Delbert and Kay Stainer. He had three sisters and an older brother, Carrie. Carrie was the oldest child, and he was very protective of his sibling, and he was particularly close to his little brother, Stephen. So remember that name, Carrie. You will need it later. Carrie or Gary? Carrie. Carrie. Yes, like Price. Like who? (laughs) On December 4th, 1972, when Stephen was seven years old and in second grade, he was walking home from school. He was just a few blocks from home when he was approached by a man named Irvin Edward Murphy. Irvin was carrying religious pamphlets and asking for charity donations. So he goes up to little second grade Stephen and says, hi, do you want to learn, hear about my religious pamphlets? And Stephen was like the polite little boy and he was talking to him a little bit. And Irvin asked Stephen if his mother might be interested in donating some items or some money to the church fundraiser. Stephen said, yeah, she probably would. So Irvin offered a ride to Stephen with the premise of going to see his mother and ask. Stephen declined and said he was almost home. But Irvin manipulated him and said it would be easier if they went together since they were both going to the same place. Stephen agreed and jumped into the back of his Buick when it pulled up with Kenneth Parnell behind the wheel. So now there's two grown men and a second grade boy, right? Which to most people would be like alarm bells going off. But how many times do we see this in our area with Jehovah Witnesses? Yeah, but they don't lure children into their car. No, no. But I'm just saying it would say it would be nothing to be talking to them. And then somebody would come up and then there'd be three of them around you. That's true. Yeah, that is true. Uh, Kenneth, however, was a convicted child rapist. Of course he was. Yeah. He was convicted for sexually assaulting an eight-year-old boy and diagnosed as a sexual psychopath. And we allowed him out of jail. Yep, that's what happened. We're so awesome as a civilization. Well, he was in the psychiatric hospital, first of Uh, all. Of course he was. He escaped. But they caught him again, and then they sentenced him for his child rape to four years in prison. But he was released after three, because why wouldn't he be? On the condition that he get counseling and he left the state of Utah forever. So Utah was like, get out of our, not be our yeah, problem. We don't want you to be our problem. How did Just, he survive prison? I don't know. It probably was pretty rough. He and Irvin knew each other because they both worked at a resort in Yosemite National Park. Kenneth convinced Irvin that he was a religious leader and he was acting out God's wishes. Irvin suffered from some sort of learning disability, and he was easily manipulated when Kenneth convinced him that they were going to steal a young boy in order to give him a better life. So Kenneth was taking advantage of Irvin's, you know, he wasn't... Learning disability. Right. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Stephen's in the car. Stephen realizes that they've driven past his road, and when he says something about it, the men say that they're going to call his house and ask if Stephen is allowed to spend the night for a sleepover. While the men were talking to Stephen, they found out that the family was having some money problems, and they also found out that Stephen had gotten into trouble recently. So they were manipulating the whole thing, getting Stephen to say the things they want to hear, right? The men drove to Kenneth's cabin in Kathy Valley. Stephen didn't know it, but they were only several hundred yards from his maternal grandfather's residence. Jesus. Yeah. Isn't that awful? The men had been planning ahead and bought a bunch of toys for when they abducted a child. Stephen was starting to get nervous and asked if he could go home. The men said it was okay. His parents had given permission for him to spend the night. The abuse began on that first night. 
I'm not going to get into that, but thank you. Yeah. Stephen, of course, kept asking to go home. On the third day, Kenneth told Stephen that he had been granted legal custody of the boy because his parents could not afford so many children and they didn't want him anymore because of his bad behavior. Poor little baby. Stephen begged to go home, but Kenneth told him that his dad, that he was his dad now and his new name would be Dennis. Isn't that strange, Kenneth and Dennis? Yeah. <laughs> he told Stephen. Why did you pick this story? <laughs> he told Stephen to start calling him dad. Kenneth knew that he didn't need that he needed to get away from the area. So if he didn't want to be discovered with Stephen, so after a few weeks, he and Stephen moved to Santa Rosa and left Irvin behind. The sexual and psychological abuse continued. Kenneth enrolled Stephen into a school under the name of Dennis Parnell and warned Stephen that he could never tell anybody about his true identity. When Stephen would ask about his family, Kenneth told him that his father had died and the rest of his family had moved away, and Stephen believed him. Why wouldn't he? He's, he's a baby. They stayed in Santa Rosa for about three years and moved on. They moved to lots of different towns and various trailer parks, cabins, and motels in Northern California. Kenneth didn't want to stay in one spot too long because it increased his chances of getting caught. But they were always sort of in the same area as his parents. Um, for a period of 18 months, a woman named Barbara Mathias lived with Kenneth and Stephen. She not only knew about the abuse, but would actually participate in it. Despite all of this, Stephen was pretty well-adjusted in school. He was popular, he had many friends, and a girlfriend as he grew up. He was allowed to smoke, drink, and do drugs from a young age. And he was able to come and go as he pleased. Was this a TV show? There you go. You're catching on now. It was a mini series when we were children. I know my first name is Steven. Yes. Ah! <laughs> yeah, you got there. Um, meanwhile, as the years go by, Steven's parents were doing everything they could do to find him. When people claimed to have seen Steven, his parents would pack everybody in the car and they'd drive across the street to the state to try to find him. Anytime somebody had a lead, they'd try to go out there. Like they were trying to go and find their son. It's very sad. But it never panned out. Okay, we're going back to big brother Carrie. Carrie was starting to feel neglected. All of the effort on the family was focused on finding Stephen, and he was beginning to feel estranged from his parents. Carrie was not dealing well with any of this. He was known at school as the guy whose brother was kidnapped. He wasn't, he wasn't popular at school. He was having a hard time. He was getting bullied. And everybody talked about him all the time because his little brother got kidnapped. He started to wear a hat all the time because he was compulsively pulling out his hair. He was having a hard time relating to people and became more and more isolated. Okay, back to Stephen. That was just a little insight on Carrie. Remember, remember him for later, right? Uh, Stephen's getting older and Kenneth is a pedophile, so Kenneth started to lose interest in Stephen. Kenneth began to look for a younger child to kidnap. He tried to use Stephen as an in his attempts to kidnap another child. But when he would do this, Stephen would deliberately sabotage the kidnapping. He didn't want to see another child go through what he had to go through. So Kenneth thought that Stephen was just incompetent, like he was bad at kidnapping. So he stopped taking him. Kenneth managed to convince one of Stephen's friends, Sean Poorman, to help kidnap a child. At first, Kenneth bribed Sean with drugs and money, and eventually he threatened him. 
So on February 14th, 1980, five-year-old Timmy White was playing in front of his house in Ukiah, California. Sean approached Timmy and tried to convince him to get into the car. When Timmy refused and started running towards his house, Sean grabbed him and forced him into his car. Kenneth immediately began brainwashing him, telling him that he would be his new dad and his new name would be Tommy, not Timmy. Timmy had this really light, like almost white blonde hair. So when Kenneth got back to the cabin, he dyed his hair dark brown. When Stephen got home from school that day, he was told that Timmy was his new younger brother. Stephen knew that he couldn't just sit back and watch Timmy go through what he had gone through. So he decided he was going to do something about it. On March 1st, 1980, Kenneth was working a night shift. Stephen and Timmy left the cabin and walked for miles. They hitchhiked back to Ukiah, which was over 40 miles away. Stephen planned on taking him home, but Timmy was five, and he couldn't remember his address. So Stephen took him to the police station. Stephen didn't want to go in. He didn't want to get involved at this point. He didn't want his name involved at all. He wanted to stay out of it. He just wanted Timmy to be safe. Uh, He didn't want the stigma of being a victim of sexual abuse, and he was brainwashed, right? So... And he thought his dad was dead and his family had moved away. Yeah, it's so it's amazing how much they can manipulate you, yeah. right? And how much you actually believe, even though Yeah. Yeah. So he told Timmy to go inside the police station and he told him what to say. But Timmy was too scared. So Stephen went in with him. At first the police thought that Stephen was the one who kidnapped Timmy. But then when the police interviewed Stephen, he told them everything. He told the police, I know my first name is Stephen. So there you go. We get to the miniseries. You're ahead of me there. This is obviously what the miniseries was based on. Yeah, they also did a whole bunch with his um, grandfather. Like, you brought up his maternal grandfather, and I thought you were going to talk about some of that. But they took him in several times. Oh, yeah? Um, I don't remember. I remember I did watch, you know, my memory. I did watch the miniseries. I remember getting freaked out about it because I was younger at the time. Yeah, they took his grandfather in several times, and like, and then they actually did a polygraph test with him. So it was – this whole thing was like – I mean, I'm sure you're going to touch on it with Carrie too there, but it broke the family. Like, it, yeah. it really – yeah, well, and then Carrie, I I don't I don't know if the, it was true, but I remember it from the miniseries that Carrie saw Stephen somewhere, and he knew it was his little brother, and he told his parents that he had seen him somewhere. Yeah, and they went out looking for him. I don't know if that is actually what happened. I didn't read anything about it, but I I specifically remember that part from the miniseries. And then he was like, "Yeah, I knew my brother was living there this whole time, but nobody would listen to me or whatever." Right? Yeah. Um. Anyways. Where was I? Okay. They're at the police station. Yeah. And he goes, I know my first name is Stephen. Yeah. Stephen told the police about Kenneth, who was arrested and charged. Both sets of parents were contacted. Timmy's parents came right away and got him, and Stephen's parents and came and brought him back home. It had been over seven years. It became huge news, right? Like, the media was crazy, as it usually is with most of my stories. But when they got back to their house, it was surrounded by reporters, there's actually a picture where you can see them walking into the house for the first time and Carrie is in the background and he just looks like not happy. He just looks like, I don't know, more upset than happy. It's a lot to deal with. Well, it's a lot to deal with and he already feels estranged from his family because he thought everything was about Stephen and now everything is even more about Stephen. Anyways. 
Stephen was called a hero for rescuing Timmy. He tried to get back to a normal life, but obviously it was hard. He had been abused for the last seven years, and he could barely recognize his siblings. He had been allowed free reign to do what he wanted with, uh, with Kenneth, and now he was back to having parents and rules. Carrie was now 18. Stephen's 14 at this point. Carrie is 18. At first, he was thrilled to hear that his brother was back, but they had a difficult time trying to get back the bond that they once had. Stephen went back to school, but he had to miss a lot of time for interviews and trials. When classmates found out details that, about what happened, he was bullied badly about his past and sexuality because kids suck. Yep, they do. <laughs> They're really awful little beings. And little, little crotch monsters. <laughs> In 1981, Kenneth was tried and convicted of kidnapping Timmy and Stephen in two different trials. He was sentenced to seven years. Jesus. Seven years. Kenneth was not charged for the numerous sexual assaults on Stephen and other boys because most of them occurred outside the jurisdiction of Merced County or they, had, they were outside of the statute of limitations, which shouldn't be a thing. There should be no statute of limitations on this. I don't know if there still is, actually, but at this point there was. So he was sentenced to seven years, and guess how many he did? Three. Five. He did five years. Irvin Murphy. So all together now, this guy has served eight years for all of this stuff. Yeah. He kidnapped a child and sexually abused him for over seven years. And, and he then didn't kidnapped even get another that, one. And then he didn't even get that much time in jail. Okay, Irvin Murphy for helping kidnap Stephen and Sean Poorman for helping kidnap Timmy were convicted of lesser charges. Both claimed they knew nothing of the sexual assaults on Stephen. Barbara Mathias was never arrested. Of course not. Stephen wasn't able to graduate high school, and he really struggled to fit back in with his family. He barely received any counseling because his father didn't believe in counseling. It got so bad in the household that Delbert asked Stephen to move out. Stephen got his welder certificate, and in 1985, he married 17-year-old Jody Edmondson, and they had two children together. He also worked with child abduction groups, spoke to children about personal safety, and gave interviews about his kidnapping. On September 16, 1989, Stephen sustained fatal head injuries while on his way home from work when his motorcycle collided with a car. He was only 24 years old. It was a hit-and-run accident. The driver of the car was later identified by witnesses. 500 people attended his funeral, at which 14-year-old Timmy White was a pallbearer. Fifteen years after Kenneth Parnell was released from jail, he was arrested again. Guess why? Oh, I don't know. He stole some candy. Yeah, no. This time, it was for trying to buy a four-year-old boy for $500. Timmy White and Sean Poorman were both subpoenaed to testify at the trial. Kenneth was found guilty. In this time, he was sentenced to 25 years to life. Finally. He died on January 20. And that's like, what was he doing in that last 15 years, right? He had been out for another 15 years doing God knows what. Right. Just makes me sick. Anyways, he died. Good riddance. On January 21st, 2008, at the age of 76. So you might think this is the end of my story, right? I was hoping. Nope. Buckle up. Uh, <laughs> We're going sideways now. Okay. Carrie. Carrie was born in 1961 and was four years older than Stephen. So I've told you that when Stephen was missing, Carrie had a hard time relating to his father, Del, 
and I've told you that when Stephen came back, Carrie had a hard time connecting with him. So let's get into this. Carrie is now in his early 20s and feels completely lost. He didn't know now his younger brother is dead at this point in the motorcycle crash. He didn't know what he was going to do with his life. There was all this publicity around Stephen and Carrie was having a hard time handling it all. So he would spend a lot of his time just disappearing into Yosemite National Park. After graduating high school, Carrie got a job as a window installer. And by the time he was 29, he had moved in with his uncle, his father's brother, Jesse. Jesse was actually known to everybody as Jerry, so that's what I'm going to call him here. Jerry was a Vietnam vet who worked as a truck dispatcher. On December 26, 1990, Jerry decided that he was going to go home for lunch. About an hour later, a neighbor noticed that Jerry's front door had been left wide open. The neighbor went inside to investigate and found Jerry murdered on the floor. The only thing that was missing was his truck. Carrie had been working at the time of the murder. He gave police a description of a suspicious-looking man that had been seen hanging out in the neighborhood before the murder. That man was never found, and the murder remains unsolved. That's just a little bit of foreshadowing here for you. Now Carrie is even more messed up. He's severely depressed, and he tried to take his own life, and he became a drug addict. In 1997, Carrie was hired as a handyman at the Cedar Lodge Motel in El Portal, California, just outside the entrance to Yosemite National Park. On February 15, 1999, Carol Sund, her daughter, 15-year-old Julie Sund, and Julie's friend, 16-year-old Argentinian exchange student Silvina Peloso, checked into the Cedar Lodge. They had dinner, rented Jerry Maguire, and went back to their room to watch it. Show me the money! (laughs) They had just settled in to watch the movie when there was a knock at the door. It was Carrie. Carrie told them that he needed to access the room because there was a leak in the room above and he needed to fix, get into their room to fix it. Carol at first refused, saying that there was no leak in their room and that the girls were in their PJs and it wasn't appropriate. But Carrie was persistent and Carol agreed to let, her in, let him in. Sorry. Once inside, Carrie pulled out a gun. He bound and gagged the three women. He killed Carol and put her in the trunk of a rental car. Killed her? Yeah. Yeah, like... Talk about, he was a little bit mentally, I don't know. I don't know if this is nurture versus nature because he was the one that was raised with the, you know, loving parents and his brother was the popular one in school. And he was, I don't know, it's all messed up. You understand what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Even if the rest of the world doesn't know. (laughs) You speak Cheryl. I speak Cheryl. Um. Then he raped and murdered Sylvina and put her in the trunk of the car as well. And then he went back inside and raped Julie. Julie was then carried to the front seat of the car. She was still alive, but injured and obviously traumatized. He drove Julie into the woods near San Pedro Lake, and then he murdered her as well. Carrie returned to the car, drove it to a remote spot, and set it on fire. Carrie walked away, called a cab, and returned to the lodge. When the girls didn't show up at the airport the next day, because they were they were due to be home, Carol's husband, Jens, became concerned and called the lodge. The room had been left neat and tidy, and it appeared that they had just checked out of the lodge. Jens then contacted the park rangers, worrying that they may have been involved in a car accident, but there was no evidence of this. A few days later, Carol's purse was found over 100 miles away in Modesto. 
So now the police are concerned and they call the FBI. A $250,000 reward was offered for any information. Carrie and all the other employees were interviewed as suspects, but Carrie had been ruled out. He was cooperative and calm and he had no record. Over four weeks later, the car was discovered. Police found the bodies of Carol and Sylvina. They both had to be identified through dental records. Jesus. Yeah. Just from sitting so long or did he do that kind of a number on them? Because the car had been torched and they were in it. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, that's okay. I'm paying attention. <laughs> Afterwards, an anonymous note was sent to the police. It was a hand-drawn map, including the location of Julie, and at the top, the note read, we had fun with this one. Investigators went to the location depicted on the map and found the remains of Julie, whose throat had been cut. Four weeks later, on July 21st, Carrie was inside Yosemite again, and he came across Joy Armstrong. Joy was an employee of the park. She was like full of life and happy and like she was just that girl, right? She taught children nature programs and she lived in a cabin inside the park. Joy was getting ready to leave for a friend's place in San Francisco and she was carrying things back and forth to her car. Carrie watched her for a while and then he approached her and started talking to her. Then he pulled out a gun. He first forced Joy back into the cabin and bound and gagged her. And then he forced Joy into his car. While they were driving, because she was a little fireball, this one, Joy got the car door open and threw herself from the moving vehicle and tried to run away. But Carrie chased her into the woods and murdered her. When Joy didn't arrive in San Francisco, her friends contacted the police. Police went to her cabin and found signs of a struggle. She fought hard. They found her body the next day, about a half a mile from her home. This time, the police got a break. Carrie drove a blue 1970, sorry, a blue 1972 International Scout. Do you know what that is? Nope. Look it up. Look it up for a second. Okay. Bossy. It's <laughs> it's like, it's a car that if you saw it, you would know what it is because it's very unique. It kind of looks, when I was trying to describe it in my head, it looks like a Jeep crossed with, I don't know, an ice cream truck. <laughs> And like, so what's is it, it called? Blue International? 1972 International Scout. Okay. Do you see it? No, but oh. you can keep going on. With okay. Um, anyways, he was the only one with a car like this in the area. The FBI found Carrie in a nudist colony on July 24th. Oh, yeah, I've seen those before. Have you? Yeah, it looks <laughs> like an it? old Bronco. No, I don't think it looks like a Bronco. I don't know what I got going on here. Anyways, it looks, it's very unique, right? If you saw one, you'd know. That it looks it was... like an FJ or an old Bronco. Okay. Well, whatever. People, I think... I'm telling you, you look it up. <laughs> okay. They they find out that he's at a nudist colony. So they go to the nudist colony to pick him up. But the F FBI were, I don't know why they were not told that this guy is a murder suspect. They were just told that they needed to pick him up. And they thought he might have just, like the, the two FBI agents thought he was probably just somebody that had um, some information or something. They didn't They didn't know that he was a murder suspect. But they found him easily because he was the only one wearing clothes. When the FBI approached, he raised his hands above his head. And they thought this was a little bit strange, but they were like, oh, what? whatever. So they put him in the back of the car and they drove him back to the headquarters with no cuffs. And the whole time they're having this like completely casual conversation. One of the agents recognized Carrie's last name and asked if he was related to Stephen. And Carrie was like, yeah, he was my brother. And they drove the whole time chatting and bonding, and the agents had no idea who he actually was at this point. 
when they got back to the headquarters, they ordered pizza and waited for the investigator. So Ooh, <laughs> I want pizza. <laughs> you can have pizza later. 50% off with Domino's tonight. <laughs> Domino's, you should, you should, uh, what's the word? Yep. I don't know. What is the word? It doesn't matter. I'll cut this out. <laughs> like, give us money. What's it called when they sponsor? sponsor they us? should sponsor this episode. I just gave them a plug. Okay. Very horrible one at that. It was a really bad one. <laughs> We're going to have to pay full price tonight. <laughs> okay. But these FBI guys are sitting down eating pizza with this guy. And so Carrie thinks that they know who he is. I don't know. They must, he must be like, why are they acting like this? They know I murdered these, this, these people. So he says, well, this is probably the last normal pizza I'm going to ever eat or normal meal I'm ever going to eat over as a free man. And the FBI agents are like, what is he talking about? And then he says, okay, I'll confess to everything. But first I want, I have, this little detail that you have to fill for me and he says i want you to get me some kitty porn and now they're like oh shit <laughs> this guy just asked for kitty porn right this isn't right so they say oh yeah well we can get that but it's hard to get our hands on but first let's sit down and we'll talk about this so obviously that he never got it but that's what his demand was so really that's what he demanded from an fbi agent kitty porn yep what an idiot yep um, anyways, they sit him down and Carrie confessed to not just the single murder that they thought that he was guilty of, but all four murders. Got it off his chest, did he? Yeah. He also said that he wanted a miniseries done about him like had been done for his brother Stephen, and he wanted producers to be contacted in Hollywood. Carrie was charged with all four murders. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for Joy after a plea deal was made. The plea deal was made by Joy's parents saying, okay, we'll let him have this plea deal on it. But the deal is he's never allowed to make one cent. So he can't make a movie. He can't make a book. He's never allowed to make one cent because he murdered our daughter. So he got out of, um, yep. Death penalty. Death penalty. I can't think today. Sorry. Yeah. That's he got okay. out of death penalty. Everybody knows that you drink heavily, honey. <laughs> Don't drink heavily. Okay. She drinks heavily. <laughs> Somebody help me. So for the other three, he pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity for the murders of Carol, Julie, and Sylvana. On August 27th, 2002, Carrie was found guilty of first-degree murders for all three women, and he was sentenced to death, and today he remains on death row. So that is my complete story of the Stainer family. I told you there was twists. Twists and twist. turns. But look at this. I want to show you this picture. There's a 1972 it, Bronco. I can't see it from. Oh, yeah. I guess it does. I guess the Bronco looked funny too. Ha. <laughs> see, I tell you people, I know what I speak of. <laughs> it's still a very unique car, is my point. Yes. Yes. Yeah. If you've seen it around now, yeah, it'd be actually probably at a classic car show. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Well, that's messed up. Yeah. That is very messed up. Mm -hmm. Imagine that all that tragedy for one family. One family, yeah, yeah. That those poor parents and his sisters, sisters yeah, because he had three sisters. So I don't, I didn't look into that, but that is an interesting. Uh, of course not. Why would you? Oh my god. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? I would have if it was my story. Yeah. However, not my story. I just do the dumb stuff. You do the dumb stuff. I do the dumb stuff. 
So mm. should we draw? We should draw. Do you want me to draw while you hold the bag or do you want to draw? Um, okay. I'm going to come over there to your microphone. Excuse me, people. Okay. I'm at your microphone. Do the draw. The draw. And the winner is Natasha C. Yay. I'm back at my microphone. Congratulations, Natasha. I will get in touch with you for your address and we will mail you your prize. Thank you for everybody that participated and sent all their names in. I uh, think there was three or four people that did every, every one. Yeah. Yeah. That was Everyone. cool. So that it was, was good. Cool. Yeah. So thank you all very much. I think much. Natasha was one of the ones that did every, every, she had five entries. In she there. had five yeah. entries. Nice. Yeah. So, so the odds thank you were for with ever, her. The odds <laughs> may forever be in your favor. <laughs> So I guess it's my turn now, huh? It is your turn. Nobody cares now because now they've all got their prizes. <laughs> so or, or not. <laughs> or not. I, yeah, Jeff just turned off the episode. Yeah, Jeff just, yeah. <laughs> just like, I'm not even getting my lick to get Forget it. I'm out. So mine, uh, did you know that I put in Darwin Awards in Canada just to see? Yeah. Like two came up. You've done a whole episode on Canada before, so I know there's more than two. I know, but I was just, I was a little disappointed. Yeah. Well, some of them I'd done before that had come up, but there's only got, anyways, this one's from Calgary. Okay. June 1997. Okay. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was going to, you know, like this economy, the way we are with this economy and stuff like that. People might start having to break into places a little bit more. Yeah, it's you know what I mean. Becoming it's getting, more common. Yeah, and I mean, I even get it. in rural like places like this, we have to start worrying a little bit more than. But if you were going to break into something, isn't there things that you would do that may not that may, you know, like if if, if you went up to the house and there was large dogs, mm -hmm. or if it was a little trickier to get to? Well, I guess it all depends if I'm tweaking on crystal meth. I guess, well, this burglar decided to break in to the residence and they were home. Oh, no. So. Were they like awake and eating dinner kind of home? No, or? no. It was at 1230 at night. It was at the Royal View Apartments in Calgary. Okay. And the occupants woke up and shaken from hearing something outside. This, this could have been us. And when us. they flicked on the light and went, hey, the burglar got startled and fell 12 stories from the balcony. Shut up. Yeah. And they don't know how he got up there. He was tweaking for sure. So, yeah, 1230 a.m., they heard a noise on the balcony. Uh, they were surprised, but not nearly surprised as he was. Um, they startled the intruder, and he fell while, while scrambling to try to flee. And the body of, of the man, about 30 years old, was found on the ground floor patio directly below their balcony. Oh, my God. So, yeah, he fell 12 stories. But they, And then the thing is, the police came and they wanted to get into the apartment next door. And it was empty. Nobody was home. It was still locked. So they don't know if he came he down to... from the roof or if he, how he, they, they don't know to this day how they got in there. That's insane. Or did, is there a possibility he was in their apartment? And like, I don't know. It said, um, it says on here that the building resident manager, uh, Brian Lester, was also puzzled by the incident because he had to let police into the next apartment. Uh, the door on the roof was locked. It's weird. And they don't know how, they still to this day don't really know how he got in. They're assuming that he had either climbed up the balconies and then 
I guess got to the twelfth story, got tired, thought like, he was gonna break into this one. That I don't movie know. Jumper. Maybe he just maybe Spider Man. <laughs> I don't know. Like, Jumper. He just appeared on the balcony. However, that uh, yeah, yeah, that's nuts. That's not cool. No, if you're gonna break into places, do it on the first floor. Do they know for sure that he was like there to try to rob? Well, that they don't know. That's why they're even saying it's presumed that he was like, but they don't know why. Why else is he crawling around yeah. on balconies? Yeah, that is strange. Do 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 do. Yeah, maybe he did jump there. Um, so here's another good one for you. December 1997, Pennsylvania. Johnny, a prisoner of the New Albany County Jail in Pittsburgh, attempted to evade his punishment by engineering to escape from confinement. Johnny constructed a hundred foot rope of bedsheet, broke through a supposedly shatterproof cell window and began a hand over hand climb to freedom down his that's, makeshift That's ladder. pretty impressive so far. I'm a little bit impressed with Johnny's skills at, at escaping prison. Yes, but it's not known whether his plan took into account for several things. Okay. One, the street that they dropped down to was a very busy street. And it didn't take, and then the window that was supposed to be shatterproof, shatterproof is cutting away at oh, the bed sheets. Oh, no. Yes. And it's 100 feet down? Uh, no. So that's the other thing. He made a 100-foot rope, and it was 150 feet below. <laughs> oh, no, that's bad planning. <laughs> Yeah, 50 feet's a pretty big ball still. Yeah, so anyways, but he didn't matter because he only made it about 50 feet down before the car, the bed sheets ripped from the window and he fell down and then got hit by a car. Oh, no. That poor, you know, <laughs> like, died. that's terrible. That's terrible. Like, it's dumb that he, yeah, make sure you have enough bed sheets. But that poor car driver right like he's just driving along minding his own business and somebody falls on his car yep here's another one for you the, apparently the rumor of this did not reach all the prisoners because in the same jail a year later another person waiting to be transferred they're did like the what? same thing <laughs> they're like what these these windows aren't shatterproof yeah <laughs> so he did the exact same thing only he only fell 25 feet and broke his ankle and his uh um, scraped his face oh, so he didn't he die. probably thought okay so the prisoners like they find out that these windows are not shatterproof they're gonna do it better they're gonna make sure that they have enough sheets and they're gonna scrape away the glass at the bottom so it doesn't cut they're gonna make it better right they're kaizening that stuff now yeah they're kaizen <laughs> so now for my last one and this is a public awareness i didn't know i don't know if people did, didn't know this or not i was not aware of this okay so it was uh it opened my eyes up but did you know that there is not bicyclist bicycle crossings on airport tarmacs oh really yeah who'd have, no, who'd have thought? there isn't any <laughs> Like, so, I just, that's what I like to do on my days off. Is yeah, so Johnny, 25, was out riding his bike and did not, and was wearing and listening to his, this is how old this thing is, his he was listening to his Walkman. <laughs> if you don't know what a Walkman is, it's basically, uh, you know, 
uh, you put in a cassette because they didn't have CDs yeah. at the time and you have speakers on your ears and everything like that. And you got to carry a pencil around for when it eats your cassette. Yeah, right. <laughs> so anyways, Johnny, 25, could not hear the twin engine plane because he was listening to his Walkman on his headphones. How did he get on the tarmac? It doesn't say. It just said that he was he was trying to cross the airport, trying to shortcut home, cross the airport runway, um, 87 kilometers from Sao Paulo. And he didn't hear the airplane. And all it says is that the propeller and the right wing of the airplane were damaged. So you can imagine oh, what happened to him. Oh, no. Oh, that's an awful image. Yep. No, that's bad. That's like, <laughs> that makes me think of Indiana Jones. I didn't know that you couldn't ride right. I mean, that's a perfect place to take your bike. Yeah, they need to put up signs. Yeah, not a crossing. <laughs> That's like putting up a, 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 a moose crossing sign here and then getting mad when the moose doesn't cross there. I don't know why. The sign's down there. It crossed right here. It's ridiculous. Anyways, those are my stories for the day. Yeah. Happy 50th, baby. Happy 50th. And if we're out there, if you've enjoyed and followed along our journey for the last 50, we thank you. Yeah. Please uh, hit the like button, spread the story. Um, yeah, our little podcast is beginning to grow. So yeah, so we appreciate you. that. And that's all because of everybody out there. Um, so thank you. Thank you very much for telling everybody and spreading it and taking your time to listen to us and uh, babble on across here. Yeah, because that's what we pretty much do is babble. Yeah, we just babble, babble, yeah. babble, babble. <laughs> and we will end with a dad joke. Yes. Okay. So I'm the ready. student. I'm ready for this. Student says to his teacher, I finished ripening my paper. It's all about honey. You finished ripening your paper? I finished writing <laughs> my paper. It's all about honey. Okay. Teacher said, I'll probably give it a B. Uh, dun, 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 dun. You gave me one that I couldn't guess. That's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tired of that. It's over. No more guessing for you. Until I find a really good one. <laughs> All right. So that's the end of today's episode, 50th episode. Again, thank you, everybody. We appreciate it. Natasha. Yeah. I'll be in touch. Congratulations. Congratulations. My wife will reach out to you, and we will get things underway. Yep. Bye. And then maybe you can post a picture of it somewhere. That would be good. Oh, yes. Yeah. Post a picture. Send it out. That was just a thought right now, but I like yeah. it. <laughs> Let's Last do minute that. thought. Let's do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Bye.